catching you up with the latest news from around the Sunshine State that you should know. Heading into this Monday morning, March 27th, I'm Elliot Trito, and this is The Point from WUFT News. A Florida law that allows kids brought to the U.S. illegally by their parents to qualify for in-state tuition could be on the chopping block. Under the 2014 law, Dreamers, who have lived in the state for at least three years and attended a Florida high school, qualify for in-state tuition. I spoke with WMFE's Daniel Pryor about how Governor Ron DeSantis has asked lawmakers to repeal the law this session and how this affects Floridians. Yeah, so Governor Ron DeSantis at the start of the um, legislative session had asked legislators to repeal this law. Um, He felt that the money would be better used um, in other ways. And so this law was put into effect in 2014 by then Governor Rick Scott, who was also a Republican, still is. And um, the idea was that it would help uh, Florida businesses if dreamers um, could be trained in high needs fields like teaching and engineering and medicine and all these different things. And the best way to make sure that they were able to get the training they needed is to ensure that they could get in-state tuition rates. So since 2014, the idea has been that dreamers uh, would get in-state tuition rates just like any other Floridian as long as they'd been in the state for three years or more and if they attended a Florida high school. And then they could get the training they need to fill um, those, you know, those high demand, high needs areas that we just talked about. Um, but that uh, could be on the chopping block depending on whether or not uh, legislators um, kind of follow through with what Governor Ron DeSantis has asked them to do or not. So uh, when I was um, reporting on this story, I actually got to talk to Dreamers who benefited from this program. Speaking of Dreamers, you talked with Melanie Cantilla. Uh, what did she have to say? She's a special education teacher um, here in Central Florida at a charter school, and she teaches first graders with a um, number of different disabilities, and she absolutely loves what she does. And she is a dreamer. Um, she was brought here to the United States by her parents, and she basically told me she would have never been able to afford um, her teaching degree and her teacher certification without this program. Um, you know, out-of-state tuition would have just been way too high for her because um, she was paying it all on her own. And um, she would have never been a teacher. And we know, of course, there's a statewide teacher shortage right now. So that's just one way that um, it would have affected her and her family, but also Florida students. Those kids wouldn't have had a teacher. Um, but because of the program, she was able to attend UCF, and she did really, really well in that program. Um, and to get a job right away and to, you know, teach special needs kids in the state. Um, But there were other dreamers there who were able to get um, degrees in communications and are now documentarians um, exploring issues around immigration. Um, There uh, were kids who were getting degrees in um, IT tech and cybersecurity because of the program. Um, There was a student who is just graduating and is a senior now, but she said she actually wants to go into the field of mental health, which, as we know, again, there's a real shortage of therapists. And she wanted to be able to do bilingual therapy specifically targeted um, to migrant farm workers um, like her parents, like her mom and dad. So these kids really have big dreams, just like any other child who goes through the Florida education system. And this program has allowed them to pursue really important careers Um, in areas where, you know, 
um, there's just a real need for, for skilled workers. Sure. You know, um, I've had a really good relationship with Hope Community Center in Apopka. They're right in the area where a lot of migrant workers uh, work and also live. Um, so I've done stories with them for about five years now. So um, they were actually the ones that contacted me and brought this to my attention. There's not been a lot of journalism, sadly, and reporting done on this issue because it's there's been so many things since the start of the session to report on from abortion to, um, you know, uh, the parental rights and education law 2.0. And this one, I think, has sort of gotten lost in the mix. So it was a real honor to be um, called out to Hope Community Center and to talk with Sister Ann Kendrick, whose entire life and work has been to work with um, migrant farm workers in Central Florida who really do um, kind of uh, pick a lot of the crops and, and food that we rely on and also do a lot of kind of the indoor farming with ornamental plants as well. So they're a big driver of our local economy here. And um, this could really affect so many of their children who, again, they have so many hopes and dreams for. So um, it was, it was, you know, I just got the email and I went the next day, <laughs> read up on the law and read up on the history of it. And again, was so excited to talk to these kids who aren't kids anymore and who are, who are doing amazing things, um, because they were able to attend college for the first time. You know, these are first generation college students in most cases, and, um, they've made their family so proud and, and done really good things in our community. And um, I've done a lot of reporting on um, immigration and legislation around immigration. So I think that probably also helped <laughs> my reporting quite a bit that I've had five years of of that. But um, this was new to me. You know, I'm from Michigan um, and we don't have a law like this. And so, um, yeah, it was just a matter of doing some reading and always showing up with a compassionate heart and and ears ready to listen and to hear what people have to say when they share their very personal and emotional stories. There were a lot of tears that day um, because, you know, they um, a lot of these kids have younger siblings even who won't benefit from this program if it's repealed um, or they have cousins or, you know, just younger people. Even, you know, Melanie Kendia, who's a teacher, was telling me that she just it's very hard for her because she thinks about her students who are first graders now and if it's if this gets repealed and revoked, what will be the goal for them? You know, what will be the drive for them? Knowing that there's nothing for them at the end of, you know, K-12 education. We all know high school is hard enough already and graduating is hard enough already. But when you know, you know, you can't afford college and there's nothing for you after, you know, uh, she said a lot of kids will drop out. Is there anything in the article you wanted to have but didn't quite make the final cut? You know, um, I don't think so. Um, so far, there hasn't been a lot of movement on this issue, which I guess is good. Um, they were um, supposed to um, basically present their case in Tallahassee, and uh, some of these dreamers were. They went on a bus and, and went there to speak with legislators and um it basically was superseded by some of the other issues we talked about. So hopefully, um, maybe, like I said, the fact that this might be lost in the shuffle politically is maybe a good thing <laughs> and that the program will stay in place. There's a lot of 
bipartisan support for it to stay in place, Elliot, which is something that I didn't talk about in my story. Um, obviously, this law was very much championed by a Republican governor. And um, at the panel, there was actually a man who represented bipartisan um, business leaders. So both Democrats and Republicans who really want this to stay in place. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, businesses will lose money if it doesn't, and the economy really depends on, um, you know, some of these high needs jobs being filled. <laughs> so his whole idea was if you don't necessarily care about these kids, which I would argue you should, then you should care about the economy and businesses and, and what this would do um, to Florida, uh, Florida's bottom line, basically, if you take away all of these people that are training to be very highly skilled workers in high needs fields. Can you tell me what it was like reporting on the story? As reporters, I think it's hard, right, when you're telling political stories to kind of get bogged down in the logistics of the bills or the legislation and really just trying to understand it, right, because we're not politicians and we're certainly not lawyers. But to always remember to lead with heart, especially with these political stories, real people are being affected by these stories and not to bring in any bias of any kind, but just to, again, like I said before, to lead with empathy, especially when real people's lives um, are involved and that's never steered me so that's never steered me wrong that was WMFE's Daniel Pryor about how a Florida law that allows kids brought to the U.S. illegally by their parents to qualify for in-state tuition could be on the chopping block now let's catch you up on today's stories from around the state Florida House lawmakers have passed a measure that would allow people to carry a concealed weapon without a permit or trading but the measure didn't include open carry. According to Florida politics, the House passed the measure along party lines on Friday. The legislation is also expected to pass in the Senate before heading to Governor Ron DeSantis, who has expressed his support. U.S. Representative Scott Franklin has joined forces with U.S. Representative Debbie Washman Schultz to introduce the Defending Domestic Orange Juice Production Act. According to Florida Politics, the bill would direct the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to alter the required ratio of sugar and solids and not from concentrate orange juice. Known as the BRICS standard, the lawmakers want to cut the requirement from 10.5% orange juice soluble solids to a flat 10%. Florida leaders say the change will offer lifeline to citrus growers affected from citrus greening, hurricanes, and trade practices many in the industry consider unfair. And finally, WUFT's Morning Edition host Glenn Richards speaks with retired broadcast journalist and author Bob Keeling about his latest book, Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. Bob Keeling takes readers behind the scenes into the Beatles' time in Florida, not just the performances and photo shoots, but also the profound musical and cultural impact they had on a generation of young people, including future Rock and Roll Hall of Famers from North Central Florida. If you want to listen to the full interview, go to our website at WFT.org. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WFT.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Elliot Trito, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Monday.